in this episode, we focus on the startup process, uh, including finding manufacturers, uh, also talking and discussing how he launched those first products and got those initial sales, scaled that brand up, the things he learned along the way, particularly regarding the importance of product innovation versus design, which I found particularly interesting. And we wrap it all up with a nice quick fire round and 2024 strategic uh, aims for their company. Brought to you by Senlane, the company that provides email, SMS and reviews all in one modern built for now, built for commerce platform that's miles better than Clavio, in my opinion, for the following reasons. One, the solution is modern, the technology is there. And from what I've seen, people prefer the technology to Clavio. Two, the price. Three, the team. And four, just everything about it. Go and, go and check it out if you haven't already. Go and book yourself a demo. Zenlane is definitely the way to go if you're looking at using Clavio over Q4 and you've been hit by these price hikes. It's a good time to be looking at Zenlane to get 2024 off to a great start. The show is also brought to you by Rewind, the company that will protect your store from issues. Things like customer data being deleted, products being deleted or wiped, apps messing with your store. They also provide a staging environment. So it's like an insurance policy, constantly taking snapshots of your sites and backing it up so that if you ever need to restore data, themes, code, anything, you can just roll back to a previous version. It's a must have. And the staging site, if you're still doing changes on your live environment and not doing it on a staging site first, then you're playing with fire, it will burn you. Make sure you have a staging site installed. Test all of your things on a staging site. Once they're working, move them to your live site. Rewind, you can find them in the Shopify app store or on Google. On to today's show with Joe. Joe, welcome to the e-commerce gold podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Yeah, good. Thank you very much. You started a company called Grow Grows. And what I want to know, first and foremost, is just a bit of an introduction, a bit of a backstory as to who Joe is and then how and what inspired you to start. Grow Grows. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll go back a bit further than when we started Grow Grows. But uh, yeah, so I started in business in sort of 2015. Uh, I left university not long before that. Um, and I started my first business was uh, actually a chilled coffee drinks business. Um, that came about because at the time I'd been working for an organization uh, in the UK called NACU, which was like... Um, it was like a not-for-profit organization designed to help the enterprise in like colleges and universities in the UK. Um, so I'd worked for that for about, for about half a year, a year, uh, and um, left the organization. But as, as I've been doing that, I've been very involved with like startup businesses and people, you know, doing all sorts of things with the agencies, products, all that sort of stuff. So I kind of got the bug for, for starting a business there. Um and the way I kind of got into the coffee drinks thing was uh, at the time I'd been, our organization was based down in London. So I spent a lot of time um, in, in Shoreditch and I've seen sort of the, the the third wave of coffee movement that was happening in the UK at the time, which, you know, it kind of come from um, America mainly. Um, and one of those things that I came across there was, was cold brew. Um, and, uh, you know, prior to that, a couple of years before, I'd actually been in America myself and seen cold brew products in shelves and i mean like stacked on shelves uh, in chillers in, in the us gas stations and stuff but it wasn't something i'd seen in the uk and it's something i had tried in america not seen in the uk since and it was like one of those like awakenings like well this is now starts to appear in uk coffee shops isn't as a ready to 
drink format that was in America. Is there something we could do here? So I started like tinkering around with that, entered a food and drink competition and uh, came and up in this like national food and drink competition. And that's kind of how I first started in business. Um, so yeah, had the coffee drinks business, launched that in sort of 2016, ran that through to 2020. And we got impacted pretty heavily from, from COVID because a lot of our distribution was in uh, retail outlets near office locations. And obviously with the big work from home movement, that sort of, you know, pretty much put an end to that. Uh, and then at the time I was also working, uh, did six months as a CEO for uh, a startup uh, men's shirtwear brand. And uh, we were doing like, um, not necessarily just shirts, but like formal sort of wear, so like shirts, like casual polos, all that sort of stuff. So did that for six months, did, did a few raises with that, some investment stuff and helped structure that business. And then um, Grogos was born uh, out of the pandemic, effectively. So um, my business partner, he just had his first child in the October before the pandemic. Um, and, you know, we all had a bit of time on our hands, a bit more time than we'd usually were all... In, in the UK, particularly, we spent a lot of time sat in gardens because we got really good weather for that, that period of time, surprisingly. Um, and yeah, maybe on the phone to him and he just said, he was talking about his, his daughter and he was saying about how like the products that he was buying all this stuff for, for the baby. And he was just like, the products just, were just pants. So he was like, well, what can we do to create something better? And I was like, we just, it, it was a conversation that effectively snowballed from there to, to launching Grow Grows. Just every year after that, so. So it sounds it sounds a little bit like um, you're quite opportunistic as a person because you've made a few jumps. Is that a fair assessment of your character? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I'm I'm like massively. I, lo- I love products. Like I love uh, consumer products. I love the way people engage and buy products, and I'm not beholden to any one uh, type of product. I just think that you know a lot of different opportunities, but I've always kind of got the philosophy that, you know, and you'll hear a lot of the econ people talk about this. It needs to be either, you know, sort of low margin, but high frequency volume, or it needs to be uh, high margin and, you know, lower frequency or, you know, a decent frequency. And I've kind of done both. And I definitely think that the uh, higher margin sort of a, a, you know, medium level of frequency is is a much uh, easier and more opportunistic uh, business for, for, you know, to start up from, from scratch, really. What 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 do you think? What do you put that down to? Your love of consumer, your love of products. Was there a particular moment in your life that inspired that, or was it just something that you just were naturally drawn to and have enjoyed since? Yeah, to be honest with you, when when I first sort of started out in business, like it was the same sort of time, like tech was starting to come like a really big thing. So like everyone was talking about you know starting tech startups and getting investment and all that sort of stuff, and it just didn't really interest me as a as a thing. Uh, I don't know why and. You know, if you look at um, you know GDP and stuff, and look at where people spend their money, actually, a lot of people spend money on products, and so the consumer side to me interests me much more. And you know, some of the biggest brands and biggest companies in the world are ones that started in product and have just built those together. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's what interests me more about it. Yeah, fair enough. So, I want to understand a bit about the food. And drinks, well, just drinks, isn't it? Beverage business. Yeah. So you identified this trend in the US and you decided to start creating some mixtures yourself, I guess. Was this pretty low key, just kitchen sort of thing? Yeah. And then, kitchen. So, so how did you build that business up? Because beverage, I've heard, is one of the most difficult 
to get right. Um, there's so many moving products. So what did you learn from that experience? I guess that maybe if someone is building a beverage brand now, you might be able to save them a couple of headaches. I'd say don't do it. <laughs> um, that'd be not it. In a nutshell, don't do it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard work. It really is hard work. Um, I started literally, you know, kitchen table, coming up with sort of recipes, got a professional, you know, product developer involved and how they are paid for that as a service for them to sort of formulate that. Um, so we could take it to a manufacturer and get it bulk manufactured. But before I could afford to do that and have the investment and capital to do that, which you're obviously talking high volumes and stuff, I needed to sort of prove there was a model for it and the purchase rate was there. So I basically fitted out uh, a workshop at the back of one of my dad's shop, converted it into like a microbrewery, got it all approved, got started brewing the drink in there, bottling it in there by myself, and then like, you know, packing it up and shipping it off to like independent retail outlets in Manchester, Northwest, and built, built about 25, 30 accounts. Um, and it was selling through like coffee shops and stuff. Um, but that was like getting, you know, start, starting at like six o'clock in the morning and then shipping all to like one, two o'clock in the afternoon and doing all the product side. And then in the evening, it was like trying to build a business side to it. And it was just, yeah, it was relentless and like no reward for it whatsoever because the margins in like beverages are so low at that scale. Like you need to be, you need to be a national retailer in the UK to make, any sort of headwind um so yeah so it's a tough tough industry definitely did you have any of those meetings did you go in and speak to any of those retailers yes yeah, so we got listed with uh we got listed with like whole foods market Ocado. um we had quite a bit of distribution in the middle east with a little hypermarket um, and we met i'd met with uh sainsbury's about three or four times um who were obviously one of the biggest retailers in the uk morrison's asda so I'd met with them all, but one of the other difficulties you've got with sort of start scale up uh, food or drink brand is the incumbents, so the big market players. Um, so, you know, we'd gone up against like Starbucks, uh, Coca-Cola, who at the time were acquiring Costa Coffee in the UK. Um, and, you know, you're trying to introduce new product innovation to the category. And these guys are watching you and they can see, but they can introduce a product you know, on a much bigger scale, much more quickly. Well, not necessarily quickly, but with greater impact than you can. And obviously they've got budgets as well that um, that they spend with the retailers. So the two are sort of intrinsically linked to work together on a greater scale rather than taking a risk on, on a startup. So it, it becomes much more difficult. And there has been some, you know, some great success stories of food and drink brands, which I looked up to for many years. Like the probably the most notable one is Lights of Innocent Drinks in the UK, who, you know, got massive distribution throughout the UK, then into Europe and eventually acquired and gobbled up by uh, Coca-Cola. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a tough old industry for sure. Seems like in order to succeed, you, you have to have like a really strong brand. I think of Liquid Death, Innocent, like your example, uh, Grenade. You know, some of these bootstrap brands have just really doubled down on their branding and then for some reason seem to have caught fire through that. But then also um, the other ones like Prime, they just have huge audience to tap into straight off the back. And I know there was ugly drinks in the UK that did pretty well and then didn't do so well. Uh, and they, <coughs> sorry, they have pretty good branding. Um, seems like, yeah, a tough game and especially D to C. Did you ever, did you ever venture into shipping from your own website? 
yeah, we did a tiny bit of it and then sort of backed away from it. Uh, Amazon was pretty good because uh, from an SBA perspective, Amazon's shipping cost a lot less than doing shipping through like you know any normal couriers in the UK. So we ended up just putting all the that through Amazon, which was which was better for us, yeah, for sure. But I definitely agree with you on the on the branding side. Like that was we spent significant capital uh, on trying to get that brand to where we needed to get it to. Um, but it was it was always hard. Like we think we had the elements of the brand, but then there's product bits, and it's almost getting you you know your ducks in a row and getting them aligned so so it works perfectly to to make it the perfect product. Now you know there's, there's you mentioned ugly drinks. There's another one called Dashwater in the UK. Obviously they're they're pretty big now. Um, they're pushing into America as well. So there has definitely been some success stories, and those guys, you know, both of those brands did now the, the the branding side down. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's it's an interesting space. Um, but I do think it takes yeah one absolute killer of a brand. Probably takes you know some sort of level up whether you've got that either sort of celebrity backing or whatever or you've got maybe your previous job or experience leveraged you into distribution channels straight away or um or you've got the capital behind you and i think you need one of those three to to make the clean success of it how did you know when the right time was to stop pushing that business Uh, forward yeah well i mean we pretty much got driven to a point of stopping pretty much within covid um so we had a, a flurry of like online sales, um, which was pretty good through uh, Amazon, Ocado. We were muscle food at the time as well. Um, and that was pretty good because it was the hot, hot weather in the UK where it helped lift that. Um, but then that sort of tailed off as people stopped spending so much online and were back in the supermarkets again once they realized that COVID wasn't going to like, you know, absolutely obliterate us all straight away. Um, and all of our shops that we were distributed in were, were effectively shuttered. So we had a distribution spa as well. Um, a lot of those were shut, just closed because obviously the leases and all that sort of stuff. So it just wiped out any sort of opportunity for growth in the account and stuff like that. So it was kind of like, right, I need to refocus where I put my time and energy because over the long term, this isn't going to go the way I want it to go. Um, so it's like, right, what do, what do we do next? So then you moved into supporting this other brand, this shirt brand, formal wear brand, or uh, higher-end casual wear brand, I guess, um, as a CEO, did you say? And, and your role there was to put in a structure for growth or to structure the business in general. Can you just take us through like what, what you intended to do there? Yeah, so I joined that. Uh, that was in the January, just, be- just before the pandemic. I uh, kind of got involved with that, but then the role picked up literally as the pandemic sort of started. Um, so yeah, my role was that the the brand was just closing off this first round of its investment. Um, so straight away, I, I got involved with that. So it was like obviously with terms, the, the legal side, and all that sort of stuff. Um, closed that out, and then we had a bit of a we had a post investment plan, which was effectively obviously to we're building a subscription platform for the business because it's going to be like men's wear on subscription. Um, so it's basically for the lazy shopper. Um, so for the lazy man effectively and it it was targeted ultimately at the, the working professional who you know that that then changed didn't it pretty quickly after after COVID as well so this was still in pre-COVID time so um yeah it was we spent a lot of time working with an agency on on developing the tech side of the business even though I wasn't necessarily skilled in that but I was obviously project managing that um 
investment, operationally, supply chain, product. Um, and then we, we started hiring and building a bit of a team out from there. Um, and then obviously the pandemic hit. And then it was like, right, okay. It was about preservation then and how we can, you know, skim it back and think about how we could restructure the business. And it was all the things that every employer had to deal with at the time, whether it's what to do with the staff and everything else that came with that. So, yeah, that was a interesting couple of weeks around, around that time. Um, and then, yeah, I worked with that brand for a bit longer, helped them raise another round. And then that was kind of when Grogo's was uh, an opportunity to, to start up. Yeah, it's another tough one, isn't it? It was subscription, especially uh, difficult. But also, when you're talking building your own tech, yeah, different ball game, different, especially yeah. especially working with an agency. That's really yeah. tough. Um, I think at the time as well, like um, there wasn't much available uh, from subscription platforms. It was Bold and Recharge at the time, and they were very, very basic in their capabilities. And I know, I think, is it Recharge has moved on a bit since then, maybe? Um, and there's a lot more providers now. We've used some for, for Grogo's. The, the functionality is well above where it was three years ago. Um, so, yeah, what we needed to do at the time was to build something because there was nothing there to, to actually use. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was, but it, that was a charging project in itself for sure. I don't think there's ever been. A non-challenging version of that project in terms of you know building your own tech stack or building out a functionality piece for a technology platform especially in e-commerce i've been on the other side of that in the agency side just mind-numbingly difficult to get right i think internal teams generally tend to do a slightly better job but finding the talent ah, oh, it's just a nightmare that's why i think shopify does so well yeah generally speaking I, is that they provide 99 percent of it out of the box that, that you're going to need um yeah which other people who haven't been on that journey like yourself won't appreciate because they will just understand that as the norm. But trust me, that is not the norm. If you have to do that process yourself, you'll understand and probably get some scars from it because it can be quite painful. I'm not saying yours was, but generally speaking, I think most people's sentiment is. <laughs> um, so grow grows then. So this all started in a back garden with your mates. So just talk us through the kind of founding story again. You, you've already mentioned that your friend had a baby. There wasn't great products on the market. When you say it wasn't great products, are we talking quality, variety, availability? What was your kind of uh, niche or way into that market? Yeah, so that's kind of where it was born. I think that at the time when we, when we looked at it, there was like two two options of baby clothes in the market. There was one, which is you go into your sort of local uh, supermarket or grocery retailer and you buy, you know, three plain white, blue or pink baby grows. Uh, for £10 or £12 or whatever. Or you could go on the internet and you could find some DTC brands that existed, but the price points were just phenomenally high. Like you're talking £30 for, for a sleep suit um, or above that. Uh, and the quality was there, but it's it, it, they had like, they were soft material. They were made from organic cotton and stuff like that, but there was still some bits that potentially weren't there. And what what we kind of identified was that we wanted to create a sleep suit that was, um, you know, super soft, um, also was genuinely sustainable, um, as in terms of the fabric and the sourcing, had features that were practical for parents and baby. Uh, and what I mean by that is like our sleep suits have two-way zips, um, which means that uh, you can change a baby really easily from a nappy or diaper changing uh, during the night or the day and get them undressed much more easily. 
um, built-in scratch mitts to stop them scratching their faces at night. So rather than putting a mitten on, they can just fold it over and it, it protects their faces. And then same with the, the socks we built in to like fold over socks. So it means the baby can have their feet in or out. And it means as they grow, rather than hitting the sort of limit of length of size of the sleep suit, they can fold it back and still wear it for longer duration. Um, so these sound like quite niche things, but actually as a parent, and obviously my my friend had just had his first child and I I had three nephews as well at the time. So I'd, I'd done many nappy changes and, um, you know, looked after them many times. So I had lived the experience myself. And um, these things are actually really, really important to, to a parent. So it's kind of like, can we put those things together with a high quality fabrics, sustainability, and, and potentially introduce some more colour as well? So um, traditionally I said sort of like white, pink and, and, and blue are the colours that, You'll see babies wearing. Can we can we do something a bit more interesting? Um, and that's kind of the where we start with the product um, for for grow grows, uh, and it, it was just focused on the sleep suits. Yeah, you are in the D 2 C space. If you have a brand that's selling online and you haven't at least had a demo with Sendlane, then one of two things is objectively true about you: you like setting money on fire, you like making your life more difficult. If neither of those things are true and you are an e-commerce brand and you are selling online, you do send emails or you do send SMS, you do have reviews or you at least like to collect reviews, then there is no reason for you not to at least have had a demonstration with Sendlane. They are built for e-commerce. They are the most modern platform with the best features, in my opinion, at the lowest cost. I mean, I'm not really sure what would be holding you back please go and check them out. Show notes below, they have an event coming up. You can still get tickets, I believe, for that event in San Diego. A link to the Commerce Roundtable in the show notes below as well. Please do go and check out Zenland if you haven't already. Back to the episode. So I'm hearing a sort of identification of some kind of middle ground between the really premium retailers, high quality garment, and your local supermarket off the shelf, grabbing in your cart. So you saw that as a gap. Then you've got another layer, which is product innovation. And yeah, talk about it being silly, sort of little things. But I guess to the pro prosumer, I think that's not a silly thing, you know. And it's one of those things that it sounds like you'd really miss once you'd had it, you know. And if you you can't go back from it, you know, you might not know you need it, but once you need it, once you've had it, you then know. So <coughs> apologies. So from there, you had all these ideas. How did you actually get that product made? Because you talk, there's a little bit of product innovation there. There's a little bit, you know, to talk us through the kind of manufacturing process of taking that idea to getting to your first finished product that you were happy with. Yeah, so it, it was. Uh, I mean, I'd been involved in product for a couple of years, so it was it was pretty easy in a way that we just let do it and get on the job. Effectively, we we, we saw, we'd seen these features of products on on different sleep suit products, but never all together as one, um, and so. You know, my mate had you know sleep suits with the fold of the feet or one with a two way zip, but he was like, "Why can't we? Just, why can't one put of it all?" Um, and it's it still to look good and have all this, you know, the design to it as well. So we basically took those products and said, "Well, there's the fold of the feet, there's the zip, there's the, the scratch mitts," and we found a local um, garment technician in the UK. Um, went through one of the, it's not Fiverr, but there's like a, I think it may be people per hour. Um, so we used for that, found someone. Um, she'd done loads of baby stuff, worked for uh, some of the, the bigger retailers in, in baby you know, departments. Um, so we 
basically briefed it into her and spent a bit of time working with her on the actual fabrication of it. Um, so that was that side of it. And then we took that to, uh, we spent a lot of time searching for, for uh, manufacturers, um, not in the UK, because UK manufacturing would just be ridiculously expensive. We looked at Portugal, uh, India, China, Bangladesh, Turkey, uh, and we sampled with with them all. But uh, yeah, Portugal, too expensive. China is stood in the face against probably the sustainability argument that we're trying to have. Um, and then you'd see India, Bangladesh, and Turkey. Um, we had like mixed quality. We couldn't really find anyone in India or Bangladesh who was one, really good at the communication and, and two, um, hit all the sustainability and accreditation things that we wanted. So we, we ended up sampling more and more with, with Turkey who uh, obviously weren't too far away. They were on a flight. We can get across there pretty easily um, even though we couldn't have the pandemic, try the pandemic, but we, we knew we could thereafter. Um, so yeah, we just sent them the, what you call a tech pack and started to get them to sample the, the product really uh, and then we took that in and we sampled it with with kids um, uh, co-founders kids kids in my family of the children we knew and got them to sort of wear it and see how it fit felt the features worked and that's kind of how we built the the first iteration of of grow grow sleep suit yeah what sort of timeline can you give us a timeline of uh basically throwing down what the features to having that first product that you're really happy to put your first order in uh probably probably about probably nine months nine months i reckon it was we we it took us surprisingly it took us a very long time to get from the point where we sort of had the jotting the ideas down to getting a first sample that almost we started that maybe in june we didn't get the first sample to like just before christmas and it was horrendous uh, I mean, we've, we've put pictures on social media of how bad they were, the first samples, and they were based off like we literally sent them samples of like what makes something very similar to this, but with these little changes here and very clear instructions. And they just came back, and it's like you couldn't even put a child in it. Um, so that was December, and then we found a current manufacturer in January, reached out to them, and got sampling with them. And by the May, with them, we kind of got to the point where we'd signed off the product and said, Yeah, we can bulk order and manufacture that now so how was your confidence going from that for final sample to put in place in your first order with them did you have any reservations about the quality change or anything like that did it all go smoothly uh yeah i mean we 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 knew the product was like 95 percent, maybe 90 percent there um we were told that in production the you know, they can improve things in production because the, the systems are in place rather than in like a sampling room. Um, and yeah, it was a bit, a bit like, oh, let's see how this goes type of thing. Um, and it was quids in at that point as well because we, I think our first manufacturer, the first order we had to put, I think it was, was it 100% up front. I can't remember. It might be 50% up front, 50% before shipment. I can't remember. Um, Whereas obviously now we've got a relationship with credit terms, but when you're doing that as a first thing, you're like you're paying for something before you've even received it in full, and you're like, yeah, this could go really sour really quickly. Um, but no, it was, uh, yeah, it came out pretty. On, on the most part, it was it was good. Um, we didn't have too many issues, uh, but we're constantly evolving, we're constantly improving product. But you know, our reviews sort of stand for themselves. We've got really good feedback and. 
that's that's the main thing that we are sort of ticking the boxes. But we see things that probably the consumer wouldn't see um, in terms of product quality as well. So we're we're really really focused on making sure it's the, the best it can be. Other than other than uh, product testing um, and doing that with your family and anyone, I guess who would who would try one on, I imagine. What else did you do pre-launch that that set you up for your actual launch? Was there any other activities that you engaged in? Yeah, so we we naively made a mistake when we launched that we um, we tried to build, uh, following on from experiences, a, a subscription platform for the for the sleep suits because uh, inherently babies grow very very quickly. So you go through four sizes in the first twelve months, five if you include newborn, and um, parents obviously very busy, uh, so they don't want to have maybe the process of dealing with you know going out and buying stuff. So we we set a subscription where. Parent could subscribe for one, two, or three, or you could be gifted one, two, or three sleep suits per month. Parent could go in, they could pick which sleep suit they wanted or designs they wanted. We built in like an automated size tracker. So, you know, you put your date, baby's date of birth in, you put the size of the baby. Is it, is it smaller, medium, sort of average, or is it on the larger side? And it would track with the baby as it goes through the subscription. And um, we built tech behind that and it was a bit of a fumble shop like all sort of tech is uh it didn't kind of work out as we wanted to but we did that and we got we'd actually tested that as a concept and the platform and all the products as well with a cohort of uh new moms effectively who were interested in, in baby sleep suits and the only thing we didn't quite understand was that they were very devout to another brand um a big, a quite a big Australian brand, and we kind of got led down a garden path. And it was like trying to convert, let's say, Samsung users to using an Apple device. Um, so they 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 showed a lot of interest because they were getting like free product from us and stuff like that. Um, so they inherently they were getting to sample stuff for free, and they, they yeah they kind of gave us a the wrong direction on where we need to take the business at that point. Um, and they were never going to actually become genuine customers for us which we didn't kind of see so yeah we we made a bit of a mistake there with that but so we we, we built like we focused on that pre-launch thing with the, the feedback panel and then we on the back of that we built like a referral scheme so you know if you sign you refer one friend you get x and we tried to almost like duplicate the harry's model of of like referral uh and that had limited success um so yeah it was kind of back to the drawing board so we, we got the product to, to sort of launch with the subscription. was like, right, this is not where we want it or need it to be. How can we sort of re reestablish this? Um, so then we, we kind of went again with down the e-com route then pretty quickly. I imported uh, a bulk import of products into Shopify and I did not put in the meta fields the created date and... Uh, that sent the whole filtering system haywire because you could no longer filter by collect filter collections by newest in first uh, or, or date added to the website, which was a really big problem for this quite large fashion brand. If I didn't have Rewind, that would have been a complete pickle. It would have taken hours, if not days, to sort out all of the while these products are live and really messing up their merchandising. A mistake by me, absolutely, but fortunately I had the foresight to install Rewind before I made any of these changes and I was able to just click a button, restore the site back to a previous version just a few minutes before I made that fatal error and no one 
was any the wiser. That's the value of Rewind. That's just one use case, okay? One use case. There are hundreds of other use cases. Have it on there because when you need it, you'll text me or you'll tweet me and say, thank you so much, Finn, for recommending that I installed Rewind. You saved my bacon. Back to today's show. Do you remember how many SKUs you initially ordered? Yes, we kept more, not more colors, colorways. Yeah, so we we have like we had at a time again we we did a thing where we were like looked at the market and was like right okay what's what's missing and what's doing well in certain places and we basically created three themes uh, which was uh, bold which is kind of like bright vibrant colors. Um, we did like a, as a design collection and we had two of those and then we had uh, a bedtime theme which is like more muted stripes spots uh, sort of typical things you'll see in retail again we did two of those then we did a bedtime theme which is what you'll see on our website today which is primarily like watercolor type drawings um, of of different themes uh, and we did two of those we, we launched with six colorways across sort of the, the, the three collections um, and so yeah, we get to that, but our minimum order quantities at the time were actually higher than they are now. So we end up having a lot of stock of just those six, uh, those six, six colorways. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, that made it a bit challenging from a repeat purchase point of view to begin with. Cause you know, if someone bought, say, the two beautiful ones, cause they like that type of style, they weren't necessarily going to buy the bold or the bedtime ones. So we needed to almost book out more of the beautiful to get people to buy that. So that then became a bit of a challenge and something we had to focus on pretty quickly um, after we launched as well. Do you remember how long it took you to convert that stock back into cash? Roughly. Uh, Almost uh, yeah, I mean, the, the beautiful stuff we did pretty quickly. I think we we launched that on the 1st of November. Maybe we, we burnt through that by like the February or something. Um, but yeah, I think it's like February. The bedtime stuff was a bit longer, so that took us from like sort of first November to maybe like April, and then the bold stuff um, that took a long time. To be honest, we've, we've even still got some of that in the newborn size. We still not sold it. Um, and we're like we're pretty much got on our website at nearly cost value, just with cost value, and we're like right, okay, we need to get rid of this. So we're, we're looking at other avenues to get rid of the moment because it's just sat there. I mean, it's not that much of it, but there's you know a couple of grand that just sat there. So. And what, what powered those initial sales? If you were to put it down to a primary channel, what, what channel and or activities actually powered you through those first sales? Well, we spent a bit of time at the beginning building our Instagram, uh, and it was, we'd have a big following. We had a really engaged following. Um, so I think we're at like a couple of thousand followers and the, the engagement was really, really good. Like anytime we put a story up, we had loads of people messaging us and it was, it was like a community. And I think that was because. Mums, uh, inherently, you know, they've had a baby, uh, dad's out at work, um, and they're, they're by themselves with the baby a lot of time. So, you know, they spend a lot of time on the phone speaking to other mums and messaging and other on Instagram. And so that we've got a lot of engagement there, but we didn't necessarily see what was the people we were speaking to through Instagram. Yeah, we did have customers from there, but the amount of engagement and amount of conversation that was going through Instagram as a channel. We didn't necessarily see that directly relate to what we were expecting in sales. And I think a lot of brands say this as well. Um, so, you know, it's good to build that community out, but does it always necessarily relate to sales you're following? Not necessarily. Um, so we were, it was, 
Meta, yeah, Dent Ball at the time, Facebook wasn't it still called? Uh, so went down advertising, and that's kind of how we built built out from there. I remember when a little while ago on Facebook, a long time ago now, when you used to be able to see all that lovely audience data. They used to be targeting specifically for new mums mm-hmm. uh, or new parents, I should say. Sorry, um, that's obviously long gone now. But what a time that was! Uh, and in addition, you know, things like Mumsnet and uh, places like that when they were still building and. Just lots of cheap opportunities. A bit more difficult now, but is Facebook still Meta the primary channel for acquisition for you guys? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we, yeah, we, we're going through a bit of a, like a review at the moment of where we are with things, but we we attract like a significant amount of gifters. Um, when I say gifters, I mean grandparents or primary grandmothers uh, who obviously buy on behalf of their daughters or daughters-in-law, um, and obviously. You should probably expect a lot of our uh, spend is is through Facebook feed. Uh, that's because you know that that plus fifty sixty generation spend a lot more time on Facebook than they do on Instagram. So we're getting a lot of that, but we're not getting enough of the the new parent expecting parent cohort at the minute. So we're thinking about how we how we sort of reposition ourselves a little bit. Um, we think that again is down to probably design. Um, we think our designs maybe appeal to the to older generation slightly more. Um, those playful traditional colours. Um, whereas, you know, people these days, if you look at the high street, are all in sort of scandy uh, neutrals and scandy coloured vibes and all that sort of stuff. So we're, we need to probably appeal a bit more to that sort of generation and now. So we're we're bringing in a new range uh, in the next couple of weeks actually to sort of to, to fit to fit the new parent expecting parent uh, thing rather than just being focusing at gifters necessarily. So how did how did you solve that problem? You obviously identified a potential problem there, and you've solved it. But what were the steps you took to kind of land on the collection that you're ultimately bringing to market? Yeah, I think we obviously when we started the business, like we had those three design themes, uh, and we we quickly realised that the butyl theme, the watercolor theme, was the one that was kind of like it was selling at a pace of three to one compared to the other the other product. So it was it was a no brainer to almost discontinue the other lines and focus on on that and expand that collection out. Uh, we've got like 25 plus watercolor type designs now ranging from, you know, all your animals, dinosaurs, giraffes, elephants, through to which brought penguins for Christmas. And then we've got like theme stuff, skiing, farm. Uh, yeah, so the list goes on. And we our focus was just continue building that collection out and out and out. But what we found with that is... It's not just a gifting issue. It's uh, there's a niche as well. Like certain people have an affinity to a certain type of character or animal or off theme. So we'll see people who like really love turtles, and they'll just be drawn to that one sleep suit. But they might not necessarily like the others. They might buy one or two as complementary products and build a bundle with it. But unless we bring out another something that, they, that really hits home for them, they're not going to come back again as a customer potentially because they've got no affinity to any other. You're almost buying it for like a novelty thing, um, so that's kind of that's the the, the thing we noticed is that our, our repeat purchase rate wasn't isn't where it needs to be. Um, it should be better and can be better. Um, and then yeah, we noticed when we looked at our sort of customer data, and you're looking at like you segments of who who's actually buying, yeah, and, and where we're spending our advertising. It's a lot of it's going down to, to gifters, and even on our pop up, it's we ask people who wear. Who are they? They expect in gifting or the um, 
parents and say our post-purchase stuff. And it it was kind of aligning that we're we're falling more and more into gifters. And that's, for me, it's more and more into novelty, more and more. You're going to have a lower repeat purchase rate because someone might gift once, maybe twice a year to to a new baby or something. Um, You know, a, a grandparent who's absolutely devoted might buy a bit more than that. But generally speaking, you look at one one or two purchases, whereas with a parent, they've got a necessity to buy for every size that baby's going through, which in their first two years is seven sizes. So that's a better LTV than a, than a gift who might buy once or twice. You sp- you've spoken quite a lot about design being a yeah. key component for the purchase, but right at the start of this call, we spoke about the innovation that you've done on the product. So how much value do you think you can attribute to the sales through that innovation? And if it's not the thing that is the kind of key motivator for people making a purchase, by removing that or improving that, how does that affect the cost per unit? And is that something you've looked at and, and think about? Yeah, it's a good point, actually. I think we, we when we do like survey customers and speak to them, and like we do occasionally have phone calls with them and stuff like that, every, you know, every now and then we'll get four or five on a call and speak to them. The, f- the feedback on the features still stands. It's almost like the customers can be drawn to one or two things. And if, if anyone looks at our advertising, uh, like the ads library, we'll, we'll be doing one or two. We'll either be focusing on the features or we're focusing on the designs. And I think kind of it's nice to have both of those angles from an advertising perspective because um, they tap into two customer niches. Um, but I think that the reason the designs have become a big focus is because those features would appeal to some people if we had a design that was neutral enough and relevant enough to them. So we'd, we'd tap into a broader market. Um, and so you could have those features, but you could have a design that's, you could have no designs that someone doesn't like. So that stops someone buying. So we've had to expand the designs to appeal to more people. But at the same time, we've not got a broad enough design to appeal to to like a wider a wider range of people. I mean, we have got those. We've got, you know, quite simplistic prints and stuff, but can we go one step further? And almost, we um, as we started a business, we almost took a step away from, you know, the, the blues, the whites, the pinks. And we went, we took, here's, here's where it is now. And we went both sides of the, the field and, and we're, we're kind of just inching our way back to where it needs to be. Um, so we're not saying we're going to go back to just blues, whites and pinks and do that really really basic stuff but how how what, where's this where's the sweet spot of where we need to be and we're kind of trying to establish that so q4 sounds like probably quite a big time of year for you in terms of the gifting season uh what yeah. are you doing what have you got in play what have you got planned to make the most of q4 this year yeah so um yeah look, we've done a lot this year we've built out the collection of uh, quite a bit more so we of the last year, we've introduced uh, pajamas, so they do good tattoos from uh, twelve months to six years. So that plays into like the family buying activities. You can buy for the newborn baby, you can buy for the toddler as well. Um, we've got the sleep bags that we introduce, which are uh, essential item for for babies and in, the, in their cots and the nurseries. And then um, we've got like new blankets, animal blankets that like uh, comfortable blankets for the babies that match the the sleep suits. We've got like giraffes that match giraffes, pandas, etc. And then um, bibs and hats as well, which we've always had, and we use those as gift with purchase incentives. So you'll see on our website if you add a certain amount of 
product that they'll be able to get those and pick which design they want as well, which is kind of nice for them. Um, so our, our focus very much with, with Grogo's has always been on bundling. Um, and that was very, very much from the early days. Uh, when we just had the six products, we bundled up to different collections and we ended up selling more of the bundles than we did of the individual SKUs. And that was obviously, wow, well, okay. So people had to bundle. Obviously, inherently, babies go through a lot of sleep suits, clothing, because they make a lot of mess and the change is high so quickly. So this year, we, we, we've got a new feature built on the website. It's like a build a bundle feature. So people can go in, they can mix and match sizes, pajamas, designs, um, and they can add those and get savings on three, five, or seven uh, items added to cart. Um, we've also got pre-configured bundles as well. Um, so we're trying to really drive that basket value whilst driving savings for, for, for the customer. Um, and obviously it makes sense that, you know, the more they buy, the, the more they save. And then with the gift we purchase as well, it's like a nice little incentive. So that's what we focus on it is, is, is definitely bundles. And I think it makes for a nice gift as well. Cause, um, obviously the you know, grandparents are gifting. We've got like a collection of sleep suits that are all sort of individually designed and different. Yeah, it's kind of a nice little gift to give to give to uh to the, the daughter or daughter in law for the for the new baby. So outside of Facebook, Meta, um currently, are you using any other channels that are maybe working well or perhaps not so well, um, in your opinion? Yeah, we, we, we tried last year we, we did a little bit of exposure exercise and we did um we looked at like TikTok, we started doing some TikTok ads at the time. Obviously TikTok was uh, probably on the, on the trend and was probably performing better for DTC and Econ brands at the time. Less so now. I know they're giving away a lot on TikTok shop and credits and all that sort of stuff, but our audience is probably a little bit more mature. Um, it's probably got a, maybe a bit more disposable income than maybe that audience potentially offer would offer there. And, um, and we're, we're more on the luxury end of the market than the sort of, you know, high frequency type of thing. So, TikTok didn't necessarily work for us. I'm not saying it wouldn't work for us, but it didn't work for us time. And obviously it was splitting hairs as well. Like, you know, you've got to focus on what's what's important. So um we previously we've been pretty successful on Etsy. Um so we're trying to build that back out again. Um and trying to get it up on five star. We were looking at Amazon, but we're probably not gonna spend too much time on it because we end up just burning through certain size variants and stock too quickly on our website. So we want to reserve that for us rather than going into different channels. Um, but primarily uh, Meta um, and obviously our database as well, which is continuing to grow um, month after month over the, the last year or so. Um, so we've got a pretty decent database. When we push out new designs or promotions, we get a pretty decent um, you know, conversion on the website from that, which is good. Yeah, and you talk about email marketing, SMS, things like that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean... You know the 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 older customer, uh, so grandparents are, but you know they know what emails are. They're, they're used to using their iPads and going through and seeing a, seeing something they like and buying, and that kind of works pretty well for us. So send out some catalogs. I'm still bullish on catalogs, to be honest, for um, a certain demographic. I think catalogs through the door went really well. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah, they love it. Um, okay, cool. So Q4 going well at least uh, hopefully well for you guys. Have you done any strategic planning for 2024? And if you have, I know you've mentioned obviously bringing in or moving your way back to center with your product variations and things like that, but what are some of the key takeaways for your 2024 
strategy looking at that year ahead and what do you think the end of that year looks like if it goes well middle or bad yeah i think um our focus like we continue to build our dtc's out of things we've got some we've got a bit of optimization optimization to do with that and really refining that as a model and making sure that's like truly truly scalable and it, it it's working pretty well um but we need to there's, there's a bit more to go on it so we, we continue to work on that and also our priority and our focus it's it's the bread and butter of what we want to be as a brand um but beyond that yeah for 2024 we've, we've already started some work on this this already so um retail is, is a big thing for us um so we, we're trying to we're speaking with uh, current retail buyers and we're looking at trying to secure some listings um, and accounts for we're looking at obviously autumn winter now 24 so yeah it's crazy to think that far ahead um so yeah that's 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 a big focus for us and that that'd be uk to begin with we do do a lot of international for for through advertising for our own website we, we probably do like maybe 40 percent uk revenue 30 40 percent us canada and 10 percent europe so we are kind of spread quite well geographically um but yeah retail uk and then also looking at um licensing as well brand licensing so obviously kids there's lots of uh books and characters that might appeal to to you know newborns and the slightly older children as well so we've, we've had a, a few meetings and conversations with different uh licenses and brands there to take some of those key characters and put them on sleep suits and other products that we've got and bring those to life um through sleepwear so yeah good stuff Okay. Um, well, it all sounds very exciting. Is there anything that I uh, haven't asked you that you think could be valuable for the audience about the brand? Um, good question. I think we're um, we spent a lot of time on like sustainability as a brand. So like, obviously, our products are all like they're made from. The reason we did this is when you look at uh, when you look at the sleep suit market or sleepwear market for babies. There's a lot of brands that do a lot of what we call greenwashing, so they claim to be um, sustainable when they generally not um and they do that to obviously sort of take a box don't they um and at the time when we started the business like it was like right big priority focus for us is make sure it's sustainable as possible and we have carried that through in everything we've done and i think it's absolutely important to do that given that you know we're selling products that babies are wearing and it will be their planet that they'll inherit one day so what what we do today will determine what the, you know the future looks like for them so we're a B Corp certified organisation, but and we do push out and talk about it quite a bit. But it definitely isn't the the key thing of why people buy. Um, and we probably fell into the the trap of like pushing out as a message quite strongly at the beginning. And there definitely is people who buy for that reason. You know, we see that on our you know feedback forms, post purchase surveys, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it, I think like for any brand, you know, you have good intentions, but ultimately people want to buy something for the for the right price, for the right design, for the right features and and that's that's a nuts and bolts of e-com, isn't it? So um yeah, definitely do I'd always like to share, like definitely do sustainability where you can and you know, make the right choice of your packaging and all that sort of stuff. But um yes, yeah, definitely wasn't definitely not a key key driver for sales. Yeah, it all kind of wraps up, doesn't it, into the justification of the sale. I think that's a big part of it for a lot of people. I think the features that you discussed, the innovation there, that's a big part of it. But if the design catches the eye, gets the emotional commitment to the sale, all those other things justify it. But it's very difficult to do that the other way around, I've found anyway. Um, okay, yeah, let's round this yeah. up. Let's round this up with a 
quick lightning round. What was the last thing you bought from a D to C brand? Um, I tried to buy some hair product, uh, but they were sold out. <laughs> so I bought, I managed to find it uh, stocked uh, on like a third party website, a Shopify website. But suspiciously, I ordered it last week and it's still not been shipped. It's been like six days since it's been shipped. So is it out of stock there as well? I don't know. I'll find out. What well, this hair product that is a must have six days worth of shipping? It, it worth. is. Yeah, it's called, uh, the brand's called Murdoch London. Um, so London based, I think the hairdresser's based in London. And, uh, yeah, I, I've been buying it for years. Don't have come across it. And then when I was in London, uh, last year, I actually just randomly walked past one of the hairdressing shops, walked in and they basically sold me a new, new type of, it's like a sea salt paste thing, whatever it is. Um, and I was like, right, okay, this is pretty good, and bought two on the spot there. And I've been a committed buyer ever since, but they're out of stock now, so I've, I've got no hair product, I've got very little left. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm in this position where I have to rediscover a new brand, so it's uh, it's making me feel uncomfortable. If only you had HS2 to zip down to London and back, and you'd be fine. So, HS2, what's the high speed train called? I can't remember, <laughs> I don't even go into anymore, is it? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, if you could sit down with, uh, past or present, anyone, uh, dinner table for one evening, who would you choose? Um, I mean, everyone's going to say Elon Musk and I've, I've, I've always sort of would say that, but I don't know. I think given that I'm in D to C, um, well, I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, DC, I'd, I'd probably look at someone in, in the in our field, maybe. Um, I can't think of who. I potentially, if, if we could have an like, open conversation, I'd love to speak to a competitor who's like quite a bit bigger ahead of us, um, which sounds weird, but like they've been on the same journey that you have been. Um, whether it's, you know, you're in the same industry, you might not, we don't necessarily compete directly, um, but we're still selling to the same type of customer. And I think there's just insight to that and learning to that. But I don't think if I had that conversation with someone, they'd be genuinely honest about, about things and give you the full information. So then it'd be pretty, pretty pointless. Um, but yeah, I think I can't think of anyone in DC more broadly, but yeah, that, that'd be probably yeah. CEO, CEO for the day of any business you're choosing, which business are you choosing? Um, top of my head, it would be Ralph Lauren. But I don't know why I said that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I do. I do like their clothing, like their products, um, and I think yeah, it's a, it's one of those sort of legacy brands. Uh, it'd be just fascinating to get behind the skin of it and see, you know, the sourcing, the, the materials, the product. Like, you know, what what does actual polo cost that's on the shelf? You know? um, and then also like look at, look at the, the marketing side of the operation and stuff as well. So. How much money is enough money to stop doing what you're doing or carry on if you want, but it's no longer a need for you to keep working if you don't want to, if you want to carry on growing your business, you can, but what, put a number for me. I'm going to press you for a number. What number in your bank account would you need to see to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm good now. I'm just going to you know, do, do this or do whatever else. Yeah. I mean, to, if, if it's completely stopped working and I mean, like, which I don't know if I could actually do anyway, because um, it's the type of person I am. It's completely start working. It probably like maybe 
And this is, I always think like if you sold your business, then you get taxed and all that sort of stuff. So I'll do it just as a net number. Uh, I'd probably say like maybe eight, eight million. Um, I'd be happy with that. That's enough to, to live off. And yeah, if you put some money into general investment stocks and shares and stuff like that, you, you'd probably see a decent capital gain off that. Um, if it was to, yeah, that, that probably, yeah. I mean, it's different, obviously, that like you get offered for a business. Um, you've got to really think, of, especially when it's your first exit, you already really think about the impact that's going to have on your life, I think. Um, and people are always like, you know, I want to sell for 100 million, all this sort of stuff. And actually, that's that's great. But, um, you know, if you could exit a business now for 4 million and you start another business and you can self fund it and bring some of the capital in, then you could end up selling that business for 20 million. So, you know, you've got to play the long game. And I think that's it's easy to forget that, isn't it? Where can people buy from you and where can people follow you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, growdoors.com um, is our website. Nice and simple. Um, that's internationalized as well. So, anyone can buy from there. Um, we're also on Etsy as well, but with a, with a smaller selection of products. Uh, and then, following, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Can't actually remember what my handle is. Because <laughs> I don't. I, I go on Twitter, I do engage a bit in the DC community. What's the story? I'll put it in the show notes. You're good. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I go on there, I do engage with the community a bit. I don't post too much. Um, it is a fascinating place. Uh, I think that, um, it, you know, DTC Twitter or X is now, I think it's, if you if you start an e-com or you're a founder in e-com or you have anything to do with e-com, it's the place to be to, to learn um, for sure. And I think um, it's been really valuable for me, um, with, with GrowGrows particularly. I'm in the business before, but it's, um, it's, it's a real strong community there. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying being part of it and reading and learning every day. 100%. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for joining us on the Ecom Gold Podcast. And uh, we wish you all the best. And listeners, do reach out if you, uh, if you want to have a chat with Joe, but also go and buy, buy your babies some clothes or gifts to babies some clothes. All right, Joe. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. All right, that was Joe, everybody, from Manchester in the UK. And please do check out his brand, growgrows.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Ecom Gold Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. Have a great rest of your day. And thanks again to Surname and Rewind.